0: a very warm welcome to the cricket library podcast my name is matt ellis and it's wonderful to have your company as always and if you're brand new to the show it's a very special welcome to you for the very first time tuning in it's great to have your company as well and if you are enjoying what you hear in today's conversation please go back and have a listen to the back catalogue Plenty of great stories to be told. Kristen Beams, Peter George, Nathan Horitz, Tim Ludeman, plenty of others in that list as well that you may like to go back and have a listen to. And, of course, leave a rating and review and hit the subscribe button. That makes things nice and easy for you in the future to find more episodes of the Cricket Library podcast where our guest today is a man who was a very prolific run scorer across all three formats of the game his name is Michael Klinger he played three T20 internationals for Australia Uh, a magnificent first class career and domestic one-day career not to mention his efforts in the Big Bash competition a couple of Big Bash titles with the Perth Scorchers the leading run scorer of all time in the Big Bash when he retired from the game Uh, captaincy at the Redbacks captaincy at Gloucestershire There's plenty we can learn from him today in our conversation. Uh, A family man as well, three children, and really want to check in to see how his wife Cindy is going after her cancer diagnosis a few years back. So keen to check in how things are there. We'll also ask him about his selections for a net session who are the three people that Michael Klinger would most like to have a net with we'll ask him about that we might even get a scoop about his net bowling credentials as well so plenty to look forward to time now to sit back relax and enjoy our conversation with Michael Klinger it's a very warm welcome to the cricket library podcast Michael Klinger thanks so much for joining us
1: yeah, thanks for having me on. Cheers.
0: We normally start our show by asking, how did your passion for cricket begin? Where did where did the flame come alive for Michael Klinger as a youngster?
1: Uh, for me, it was watching my older brother. I've got a, an older brother and an older sister, one seven years older, one six years older than me, and um, my older brother playing under 12 uh, growing up in Melbourne, and I was, three or four-year-old uh, back then and used to just go watch him every Saturday morning. My dad was like a, a team manager and back then you had to roll out the mats on, on concrete and um, used to just watch for three hours from, from 8.30 to till, till 11.30 or so um, for the on a Saturday morning for the game to be over and then used to run around with a little bat in my hand and just hit a ball around the boundary line um, non-stop for three hours. So I think... Just uh, that was my first involvement in, in cricket, and, and watching my brother, and then some of the other dads throw a ball to me and I hit it, and um, you just used to uh, love getting involved with that, and um, and couldn't couldn't get a bat and ball out of my hand uh, post that.
0: And as soon as you were able, you were you were out there playing club cricket yourself.
1: Yeah, I played under twelve as a an eight year old. So I had four or three or four seasons at that level. I I still remember my first ever game. Um, I was tiny. I wasn't a big kid at all. Pretty scrawny, skinny kid, and um, I was asked to open the batting actually. And I made eight not out off (laughs) twenty five overs. Couldn't couldn't get the ball um, much further than ten or fifteen meters away, but. uh, it was fun. It like looked back then it felt like there were giants bowling to me because, as I said, I was a pretty small kid. So um, that was my first memory of my very first game. And then obviously, once I got a bit stronger, uh, the game or the batting side of it became a little bit easier for me.
0: And you move into pathway cricket uh, as you develop your skills. How was your transition from being a club cricketer to, to moving into the more serious stuff as a youngster?
1: It started, um, I suppose my, it started as it going into the under 17 squad, uh, for Victoria. There were, um, I, I went and started playing club cricket as a 13 year old, uh, at Paran Cricket Club. And then as a, um, 15 year old made the under 17s Victorian team. And it probably started from there. I didn't have a great carnival. I was actually, you know, when you're a kid, you think it's a feel an end all these these carnivals and I had a really poor under-17s carnival and um, came home pretty uh, despondent that you know maybe I'm not going to make it I was only 16 at the time so you think now looking back on it it's some pretty silly thoughts and and really good for me now to be able to pass on to, to other younger kids that that going through their development as well because it doesn't always have to work straight away and um, from then about two months later I got um, promoted to I've made some runs in the second uh, for the pran got promoted for the last two games of the season in, um, in the first grade and made a, an unbeaten 120 as a 15-year-old for pran against St Kilda, which was actually the club I ended up playing majority of my cricket for in, in Melbourne. But, um, and that just sort of kick-started things. That got me into the, um, it was called the Victorian Digital Sport, which was the under-19 program back then, and got me involved with, with the under-19 Victorian setup and then obviously got picked for that and then sort of flowed on to Australia on the 19th and, um, and Cricket Academy based in Adelaide. And, and, and that, was, that was the flow and effect for me for the pathway, and it was probably kick-started by that, that 100 I got as a 15-year-old in in first grade um, back to Paran.
0: What are your recollections as a 15-year-old playing with men and uh, how, do you, how do you reflect on that and, and how that developed you as a cricketer?
1: Um. Oh, it's, it's very different. Obviously, it's back then, in particular, the way the game was played it was played pretty, pretty tough. So, as a, a young fifteen-year-old, you're going to get picked on, um, especially early, early in your innings. So that happened. I remember my first game was against a team called University, and and um, uh, James Sutherland, actually the ex-CEO of Green Australia, was a, was bowling for them then. Um, so. He called he me a few names as well that first game, but all in, in good heart. Uh, I've obviously had a lot of dealings with him since then, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, and I'm actually coaching his son now, Will, Will, uh, the Renegades, um, as well. So, yeah, but, um, I remember my first game against university and they had a really strong team. They had James Sullivan, who was a fantastic bowler, um, Robertson, um, and, and a whole lot of other really good bowlers who, um, was a real challenge. And then the next game was a game I got 100 against St Kilda. Uh, so, um, probably my, my biggest memory is, is getting, um, I suppose early in my innings, getting, I wouldn't say attacked, but certainly getting, um, trying to get put off my game by a lot of the opposition. And then once you, as what happens in any game, once you start to, to play well and then, and, and, and they drop back a bit and then you try and take, um, full-tile of, 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 I suppose, your confidence at the time. So, um, yeah, certainly as a young player, you get challenged and, and, that, and that's good, I think, because I think that brings out um, a, a bit of you know, internal toughness in you and gets you well-prepared to play you know, senior men's cricket in the future.
0: And breaking into the Victorian team, you mentioned you had some time playing Australian under-19s, you had some leadership responsibility there. Uh, did you feel ready for Shield cricket, when you when you got the call up for Victoria,
1: yeah, I did because um, I made my debut, debut in one day cricket the year before, and it was the last one day game of the year. And Victoria actually were out of the competition, so it's probably a, a reason I, I got an opportunity. Um, made some runs as, as well leading into it, but um, and I got eighty not out against the Tasmanian side, so um, and in a, in a run chase, so that helped um me have confidence at that level. I'd also at the Cricket Academy back then when it was based in Adelaide played in the second eleven competition. So we played from October till pretty much Christmas time, we played almost every week against every state second eleven team. So it was as if you're playing normal second eleven for New South Wales or Victoria, wherever, wherever you're from and I was able to score um runs in, in that competition, which is basically the, the level underneath um state and shield level. So I came in there with some with some confidence, which was uh, which certainly helped me. Um, I wasn't getting a whole lot of runs in, in club cricket because I we were going away for a week, flying home on a Friday, playing Saturday, and then flying out here to Saturday night or Sunday morning, to whichever state the cricket academy were playing next. And I just, I, I probably in hindsight, I probably wasn't putting my, my full attention into the club cricket for that two or three month period. But because I was scoring. A, a, Runs in what essentially was a second eleven competition. That's how I, I got picked um, to play for Victoria.
0: And what what are your early memories of of that uh, first few years of playing shield cricket in Victoria? Who who were some of the key people that uh, kind of took you under under their wing and made you feel welcome there at Victoria?
1: Yeah, my first ever shield game was in New South Wales, um, and I actually wasn't meant to be playing. And a, a batsman called Laurie Harper. Um, heard his back in the warm-up. So, Paul Rifle, who was captain at the time, came up to me and, and said, in the warm-up, and said, you're in. So, um, like my family and everyone was obviously back in Melbourne and, and didn't um, didn't know until pretty much the, the start of play. So, that was how it, it all came about. There were was, was some big names in that squad. There was Paul Rifle was captain. Shane Warne came back every now and then to play, um, obviously with his international duty. And back then, he, it was when he had a couple of his shoulder operations Darren Berry was a key figure as keep keeper behind the stump. Matthew Elliott. Uh, Jason Armberg was a fantastic uh, opening batsman and partner with, with Matthew Elliott. So, there were some big, big names around. And um, I suppose that the ones who took me under the wing a bit were um, Matthew Mott, who's now the Australian women's coach. He moved over from Queensland around the same time that I first sort of got into the, the state squad. And... I'm really grateful, I suppose, for him. He, as I said, he he made me feel extremely comfortable in the group, along with a, a a number of other people. But um, yeah, certainly coming in as a as a young guy, you seem to gravitate you seem to gravitate to some of the other younger guys. But it was always nice. I felt having one or two of the senior guys, whether it's you know just inviting for a coffee after training, or or a sandwich, or or whatever it is, or if you if you're going on an away trip, making sure they include you in. In dinners and, um, or have a beer, or whatever it is. So for, for, that, um, I'm extremely grateful to those, those guys who certainly went out of their way and really made me feel when I became that senior member, um, something that I thought I really needed to continue, uh, with all of the young guys. But throughout my playing days, I tried to make sure I went out of my way to making sure we, we, uh, as, as a leader of the group, welcomed every young player, every new player into the team and made sure they felt included. Make sure they were never left alone, you know, for for dinners on their own into interstate trips. But they always um, were invited to come with the majority of the group. Or um, yeah, so that, I always thought that was really important to embrace that in, in terms of building that team culture um, going forward. And lessons I've learned from uh, some players doing it to me when I was first started.
0: Yeah, it sounds like an excellent blueprint for for building a culture in a, in a cricketing environment. Now. I have to ask you about the 2000-2001 season. You're playing Tasmania. Uh, okay. things, things are looking good day one. You're three for 290 at stumps. You're on 36 not out. Uh, the rest of the game, uh, there's the, there's a big talking point here and, and you're the only Australian first-class cricketer to have ever had someone call the boys in and... A declaration is made when you're on 99 not out victoria five for 393 paul rifle wanted four overs at tasmania before lunch uh can can you tell us your reflections on that experience and um yeah just just how how that was for you as a young player who hadn't at that point made a first class hundred
1: yeah it's amazing how many times we get asked this, <laughs> this <laughs> question on this scenario. that to be honest, right at the exact moment or at, at that time, um, it didn't bother me all that much. I was just loving playing cricket, you know, into uh, state cricket, loving playing for Victoria. I made 99 on hours. Like in terms of make, I, I made runs. I was happy I was performing and contributing to the team. Once it sort of sunk in a little bit, um, and I suppose seeing some of the other players' reaction, both in my team and the Tasmanian team, sort of started to feel like, it was more of a bigger deal than I probably thought again, right, at that specific time. Yep. Um, I mean, I was on strike the next over, so I would have literally taken potentially, uh, you know, another 30 seconds or a minute to, to get there. Um, but, um, it was, I was scoring really quickly that first session. And so we were, um, as I said, like in an hour, you know, an hour, 40 minutes, scored probably 70 runs or so. Um, and we, we knew we were going to either declare, you know, either side of the break. And, and, and they were desperate to have a few overs at them before lunch. And the, the way it worked out, I couldn't get on strike the over before Darren Berry was batting the other end and couldn't get off strike. Um, we didn't know exactly which over they were going to call it. We knew there'd probably be some time to have a short hit out before lunch. And then, yeah, just the way it happened, um, it, it was, it ended up being on 99 when, when that was the case. So. Uh, which, which again, um, looking back on it, I didn't get my first hundred till four years later. So that that was um, it would have been obviously nice in, in hindsight, but that was probably my own fault not performing well enough for the next four years to to do that anyway. So um, yeah, Paul. I mean, Paul's been an umpire. I've had him heaps of times as an umpire since, and. He's probably given me a few scrouts. I reckon I've been hit on the shin a few times in front of the <laughs> middle of the Not out, not out a couple of times, but maybe just screw it up. But, yeah, whenever, well, yeah, we still get a long time. Um, and he, he kept, obviously, captain for a year or so after that. So um, he was a fantastic follower. I just filled it third slip or, or gully to him and um, used to fill in the game all the time.
0: Now, moving on to that first hundred, uh, if I've got my facts right here, it's against Tasmania, and Tasmania bat first, make three forty-seven. You guys get rolled for one sixty odd, and then you're asked to follow on. And I think you were opening the batting. Uh, can you talk us through uh, that experience, the pressure of following on, and um, the relief of making that first hundred?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I, I was in and out of the team for the following few years, and um, so. To, I suppose, to come in and, and cement my spot and feel comfortable that I'm contributing to the team. That was the biggest thing, uh, with, with that hundred. But the game before that, uh, I think I got 80 or so not out in a run chase against South Australia and then followed it up with, with that. So it was, um, it was more just feeling comfortable, I suppose, in my own skin in, in a team of a, you know, a very good team with some big name players, um, playing in, in that, in that squad. So, um, that was certainly the, the main part of it. Uh, I remember, you know, facing guys like Adam Griffith, who, who then ended up being, you know, the assistant coach in WA in the first quarters, then ended up playing there. Um, and so it's, it, um, I think Watson played potentially that game as well. So, um, there was, I remember it clearly, but it was not so much about making 100, more just about submitting my spot of the team then. And that's what for me felt, um, yeah, certainly felt, the the best part of it, anyway.
0: And you you have a couple more years at Victoria. What what brought about the 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 change of scenery, the the move to Adelaide for oh eight oh nine?
1: Yes, I was I was a regular in the Victorian one day team um, over you know, the, the previous four or five years, and, and performed really well through that through that period in short format cricket. But I was in and out of the Shield team, and and to be honest. Um, a lot of that was my own fault for not being consistent enough, a consistent enough run scorer and submitting my spot regularly in the team. There were times where I was scoring runs and then, uh, there were guys like Brad Hodge, Dave Hussie, Cameron White coming in and out of the Australian team. So there were times where I was scoring runs, but then to fit those three guys in, naturally yeah. I was the one left out because they weren't going to leave out a, you know, a Matthew Elliott or Jason a guys who were, um, performing who long-term performers, um, in consistent performance to Victoria. So, um, which I totally understood, but it's just the way it worked out. So I was, I really wanted to obviously be a, a long-term, you know, sustainable first-class cricket and potentially have opportunity to play for Australia down the track. So I had an opportunity to the end of that year. I was still under contract for the following season. Um, in South Australia, Rod Marsh was the director of cricket there at the time. And he asked me to, if I'd been to him coming over and, uh, after thinking about it for a while it actually all happened within the same week of when I um, married my wife uh, it, oh, it, yeah. um, it was all going on it was all pretty uh, hectic week there when it was all happening I, I flew over to Adelaide to meet um, some of the staff and see the facilities and and then um, yeah got married with all in the same week and had to make a decision so it was all um, happening happening pretty quickly I think Victoria at the same time were trying to recruit Chris Rogers so it probably worked out for, for both parties, uh, they were able to get him, me leaving obviously opened up a free spot uh, for Chris to come in and allowed me to go and, and make a fresh start, so that's how it all all eventuated, we left, left on you know on good terms back then, um, Greg Shippard was coach at the time, Sean Graff, general manager, who's still uh, general manager now, so um, there's certainly no ill feelings, but it gave um, certainly me a, a new lease on life, um, moving to South Australia to a uh, a team that had probably underperformed for a while, but um, also gave me an opportunity to cement a spot at the top of the order.
0: And some success there, over 1,200 runs in your first season, a, a big double hundred, averaging 70-plus, uh, and then uh, another double hundred the next year. Um, the T20 title um, as captain, 2010-2011. The Ryobi Cup, 2011-12. So, um the, taking on the leadership there at at, at the Redbacks, uh, any reflections on that at, at, as a as an opportunity to to use some of those leadership skills?
1: Yeah, well, when I moved over to Adelaide, I, I certainly had no intention of, of captaining or, or leading the team. It was purely just to get an opportunity, and then um, a couple of years in, I got a call. Actually, I was on holiday with, um, with with my wife up up north in Port Douglas, and um, in, in April, May, and I got a call from Jamie Cox, who was the, the head of cricket at the time, and just asked if I'd be interested in. um or looking to make a change and asked if I'd be interested in. So I sort of took a few days to, to think about it and and decided that, um, that that I'd give it a give it a go. And and they were the two of the uh, most fun years of cricket I've, I've had. I, I've, I think South Australia at the time, the Redbacks hadn't won anything for quite a long time, and. To win two titles and to go to a Champions League, uh, two Champions League actually, but one in South Africa where we, you know, people didn't think we'd have a chance and we made a semi-final. We beat Mumbai, Indians and Bangalore, um, in the space of three days in Durban, um, which was unbelievable playing against the, you know, stars of the game with, with a bunch of state cricketers. Yeah. any big name we had really was Sean Tate at the time yeah. playing for us. So that was, um, those two years in South Australia was was, was amazing, and um, and yeah, I think it really helped me grow as a leader because uh, we were a very young team. We had a couple of experienced guys, um, so it helped me in terms of management um, how to manage some of the senior guys. And I, I feel that, and I still feel today, when you're in leading positions, whether it's coaching or or in, in, in management, you really need to be flexible, and then it's not one way for for everyone. Um, need to be flexible in the way you deal with some of the more experienced guys and some of the more younger guys. And that really, I, I believe, brings it in a, in a culture where guys can excel um, individually, which will eventually obviously lead into um, more success as a team. So um, it, it taught me a lot those couple of years and, and, and certainly uh, two years of the most fun I've had playing cricket.
0: And that time, do you feel the... the learning lessons that you had there with the winning culture that you had at the Redbacks. Going over to Gloucestershire in 2013 um, and taking on leadership responsibility over there, were, were there any differences in, in doing it in, in a different part of the world with, with a different group of people?
1: Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, and, and the main difference was I had to walk into a dressing room where I didn't know anyone and had to be their captain and leave them a week later. Wow. Um, so that that was and that was probably the biggest difference and and, and I owe a lot of uh, credit to John Bracewell who's um ex New Zealand player and coach, who was coaching Gloucestershire at the time. And I remember clearly he picked he picked me up from the airport um, when I first arrived in London. that about two hour drive to get over to, to Bristol where Gloucestershire is based. And his wife picked up um, my wife and I had two kids at the time in one car and I drove it with a luggage van, um, with all our luggage just with John, um, and then he just said in, in that car drive, uh, over and he just said, um, I want you to take charge of the dressing room. He said, I'll take care yeah, of a bit of the back room stuff in terms of board and, and that sort of stuff, but I basically want you to run the club and run the dressing room the way you like it. And he just gave me free reign. And, and, and the way I went about it was, was just to, it's very hard to sort of to get that mutual respect with players straight away when they don't know you. So the first you know, week or two, all all I spent time on was actually actually spending time individually with the guys, whether it's going for a coffee or a beer, or and just getting to know them. So they, when you do challenge them, that there's that mutual respect there that um, you, know, you, you can you can do that without, um, I suppose, them you know, getting their tail up about it. So. For me to be able to to get that mutual respect early was really important, and and, and that was probably the biggest challenge I had in my career. That there, there was a team who finished bottom um, for a few years leading into that. They hadn't had a lot, lot of success for a while. We had a really young team, except for one or two senior guys. And um, my seven years there, it was one. It was enjoyable. Um, I, I love playing cricket over there. But in that seven years, we won a one day title, which, when you think about it, over there is 18 teams in a competition with not the same salary cap. So we were the second lowest budget team over there. Wow. We played a final against Surrey, who I think salary cap-wise, they paid their players something like four times the amount of what our club was was um, was able to play our players. And to beat them in a final with huge names, yes, yeah, Jason Roy, Sangakara, and a whole lot of other names, English players, um, it, at Lords was one of the best moments of my career. I watched it actually... I think it was anniversary um, of that was. Um, well, I showed a, a video the other day on um, on social media, and just bring back some of those memories was was unbelievable. So, and they just eventually got put up into um, Division One, promoted Division One last year. So to be there for seven years, last year was my last season um, playing T Twenty cricket. But to be there for seven years and see the progression, mainly of the young guys when I went there, most of the group were between eighteen and twenty one, and now they're twenty five, 26 to see them mature as people but also to actually see how their cricket improved and now they're established, you know, senior members of the team. So um, that was certainly something I'm extremely proud of, um, being able to help that club progress and hopefully now they'll be able to maintain that going forward.
0: And uh, your time in WA, you you had had a good run there at, at South Australia. What was your what was your feelings moving moving west for the 2014-15 summer? Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, um, so the end of the season the year before, uh, I had a end of season review meeting with um, with Darren Berry, who was the coach at the time, Jamie Cox, who was director of cricket, and, and a few of the other assistants, and um, and they just said to me, uh, it, was, it was quite good though. So honest and upfront, they said. Going forward, you'd be number one pick in all that short format cricket, but potentially we may move on to some of the younger guys in, um, in shield cricket. And I understood it. Obviously it's their prerogative to, to make those calls and certainly understood, didn't agree, but I suppose but understood because, um, I've had a decent season. I made a, a double hundred, um, the second last game of the shield season. Um, so in terms of, you know, performing well, I didn't quite understand why they were going that direction, but, I just said I'll go over to the UK, um, hopefully perform well over there, come back, perform well in the one day team and, and force my way back into the shield team and went over to the UK a, a few days later and about a week later, Justin Langer called me up, um, while I was over in Bristol and he just said to me, listen, he said, Marcus North has, has retired unexpectedly, he had a really good season, probably his best ever shield season the year before. And we're really after some, some leaders. We've got Adam Bogers, who's our captain, um, Michael Hogan, who's a senior bowler, and the rest of the guys are really young. Very similar to probably what I've been through in, in Gloucestershire a few years earlier than that. He said, and "He just said, we'd love to have you over." He said, "I don't even, care. I don't even care if you make runs or not. We just want you to be good around the group and, and lead the team." And in hindsight, now knowing Dustin really well, he probably said that deliberately to take the pressure off me, yeah, um, in, in that way and um, and it was a great for me from a family lifestyle point of view and a cricket point of view. It was the best move I've ever made because um, my family loved it over in Perth. My kids grew up, you know, going to school there. Um, the lifestyle there was was amazing, and the Whacker, uh I couldn't speak more highly of them. How they were as a professional um, outfit, but also, um, you know, we had a, a couple of tough periods there with with my wife's health, uh, and, and which we eventually with the whack in terms of their support, um, in particular Justin and, and Ben Oliver, who was the director of cricket at the time, um, their support and all the staff and players through that period for me was amazing, especially with no family there. Obviously all our family is based in Melbourne. So that move to to Perth for, for us was um, you know, five years that we'll we'll never forget. And and certainly um, have have a huge soft spot for for the wacker and the first cultures,
0: and your on field performances again straight away. Your, your year going to South Australia, twelve hundred plus runs, uh, going to WA over a thousand runs for the season, four hundreds, three half centuries, uh, another good year. The following year, a couple of big bash titles, and it sounds like the the off field support that you had was was tremendous. Can you tell us? Um, how things are going now with with your family and and your wife's health health situation?
1: Yeah, yeah, Cindy's um she's doing really well. Um obviously that the first diagnosis was back uh December 2017 is that five or six days before that big bash started that season. Um, but yeah, she's she's doing well. Um she's you know she's back to living normal lifestyle. And, um at the moment, she's very busy homeschooling our kids yeah. uh, uh, with online learning, so that's keeping her, her very busy. But yeah, health wise, uh, she's doing well. Obviously, you got the regular checkups as you do in the, on all these situations with her, her breast cancer. But um, yeah, she's she's going well back to normal lifestyle, and, and um, uh, we're enjoying being around family in, in Melbourne. It's, it's helped a lot, I think, for for us. And um, even though, as I said, we, we did love the, the lifestyle in her. but um, yeah, we'll see what happens going forward uh, with with all that. But yeah, certainly with, in terms of you she's doing fantastically well, thanks, thanks, thanks for asking.
0: Yeah, that's outstanding to hear. I know it was a very emotional time. Uh, you, you wrote a, a letter, a, a public letter at the time and I, I know lots of us um, just really feeling for you. Myself as a dad with three kids, I, I just couldn't imagine having uh, that kind of situation to deal with and it's really glad to hear that things um, look like they're, they're on a good trajectory. Um, with, yeah. uh, with, with the Big Bash, uh, two Big Bash titles, um, one of the more exciting ones down in Canberra where Brett Lee nearly creates a miracle for the Sixers and the other one a bit more of a, a, a cruise to victory. You make 71 not out off uh, 49 balls and the Scorchers win against the Sixers again one wicket down. Any, any reflections on on those two Big Bash campaigns and titles?
1: Yeah I think the, the main re- reflection with, with those two titles is I, I, I don't know the exact stats but I'm pretty sure we lost at least the first game in both of them, possibly even in one of them two um, first two and I'm, what I, I noticed looking back on it and, and now you know coaching with the Renegades um, we didn't obviously have a great start last year but we, we just never panicked, we knew we had um, a really simple game plan and a, a game plan that stood up um, regularly. So we just made sure that um, we we stuck to that and we didn't take the foot off in terms of our training. If anything, you know, one of Justin's mantras is to have a really hard work ethic and keep training, and we continued to do that. And you got to remember in Perth that time of year, thirty-five, forty degrees every day. So when you, you're doing your, your fitness on top of your your skill work—it's it's really hard work, but what it actually did—it it made us really good at the back end of each tournament. Yeah. I feel because I think we were stronger and fitter than any other team, and as well with that, you know, I think ninety-five percent of our guys were all Western Australian, part of the Whacker system. So that that you know that training is not only for two, for the six to eight weeks; it's for twelve months of the year. So I think if you look at our our the way we went about the second half. Of our seasons in those years were, was was really strong, and it had to do a lot with, I think our um, our strength and fitness, as well as our you know our, our mental strength, knowing that we've put had the work put in before that, and um, and as I said, we didn't complicate anything. We knew we had a really strong bowling attack, yep. and we had um, probably I'll say some senior batsmen with a couple of real explosive guys who could you um, could take the game apart a that we knew we'd be able to get the job done more than not and just kept the real, as I said, kept it simple and, and got it done for um, for a couple of years there.
0: Now, you, you must have felt at times in your career you were p- pretty close to getting selected for Australia, it, be it Test Cricket, be it one-day international cricket. That, that opportunity doesn't come, but something that does come in 2017 is is the call-up to play T20 International Cricket for Australia. How much did that mean to you to – it's almost like uh, the collective cricket community breathed a sigh of relief that you finally had that opportunity. Like we uh, we, we could see the numbers and see the performances over the years and it, it, I think particularly that year where Adam Voges um, was the leading run scorer of 14-15 at WA and, and you, you had a big year there as well. I think you were second on the list. Um, there must have been – a time where you, you were very, very close. So to actually get the call up in 2017 to play those T20 internationals, can you explain the emotion uh, around that?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that, that year and Rogers had a fantastic season and I also had a, a, a really good year. And then Bo, Rosie um, deserved his selection and performed fantastically well for Australia. But there were quite a few openings over that you know 12 to 18 months in Test cricket. And the feedback I, I got was probably... Um, and it wasn't directly from the selectors, it was sort of through other people that, um, they were probably weren't, didn't really want the perception of, you know, a 30, I think it was 36, I was 35, having two guys 35 plus in the same team.
0: Yeah.
1: So they actually went for a couple of younger guys, um, for, for, for that reason. Um, so that, that, I suppose that, that was a little bit disappointing, but, um, there was, I mean, as I said before, there were times early in my career where, you know, you always could do, think you could do more that may have pushed that case going forward. But to get that opportunity, as, as you mentioned, to, um, to play for Australia was, was unbelievable. Think about it, um, 17 years. I mean, yeah, I think the average sort of span for a cricketer is sort of four to six years. And um, I was lucky to do it for 20, but 17 years of hard work to, yeah. aiming to play for Australia to be able to get that opportunity was, was really humbling. and and not only, not only for, to be honest, it wasn't even for myself. It was it was more um, for family and friends who supported me the whole way. I've actually felt happier for them than personally. Like it was obviously great um, for me to be able to achieve that after uh, such a long time. But when you think about all the people who support you along the way, whether it's um, my parents, my dad, my late mum, uh, my um, you know brother and sisters and cousins and um, close friends who I grew up at school with, it. Just people with support on the way, and, and I think it actually made them really happy and satisfied. So for me, that was probably the biggest part of it. And luckily, the first game happened to be at the MCG, even though I was living in Perth time. But all my family was based, obviously based in Melbourne. Um, my school friends who I grew up with, so it was gave them an opportunity to come to my, you know, my debut my game for Australia. So it worked out really well from from that sense, and um, and it was just. It was just, a I suppose, a tick I could give myself at the end of my career that yes, I achieved it, and played pretty well too. So I think just to know I was able to to play well at that level, it, it sort of left a bit of an empty spot because I, I you wanted more, and I knew even though I performed really well that series, I was, I was the reason I got a game was because Smith and Warner um, were rested during that series, so um, that was probably the main reason I got an opportunity there. Yeah. Um, so in saying that, um, I knew they were going to come back in most likely for the next series. So even though I played played well, I, I probably wasn't going to get another opportunity at, at my age. So I really just um, enjoyed those three games. I didn't put any pressure on myself and just went to have fun. My family followed me around um, uh, to all the games in Melbourne, Geelong, and Adelaide, and um, it was just a great experience and one of will well, never forget.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it's outstanding. So so glad you had that opportunity and. Now, now you're a coach. You've you've transitioned yep. from being a player uh, into the Melbourne Renegades. How, how's that transition been for you? And what are your future plans? What what are your aspirations uh, life after playing cricket?
1: Yeah, the good thing was we didn't, I enjoyed it, and we've a fantastic season. So that's that's probably a a good start. But um, yeah, I, the last you know the last part of my career, I was really Determined to just upskill myself in in two areas, and and one was coaching and the other was management. Um, So I I did a master's in business and sport management, which I did while I was playing cricket, you know, um, 365 days a a year, really playing over in England and Australia. So to be able to finish that was something I was was proud of to get the master's done and then upskill myself from a coaching side of things, whether it it was coaching and specialist coaching over in England across the year, but also. Yeah, you know, doing the the level three high performance course back in Australia, and then seeing where it took me at the end of my career, and um, as of now, more opportunities have come up in, in coaching, and and taking um, an opportunity to coach a big bash team, uh, you know, as a fairly inexperienced coach, although I was running the the t twenty part of um, the team over in the in Gloucestershire for for the last two or three years, it was a great opportunity, and, and now to be given another two years at, at that. Um, is something I'm really grateful for. And now, I only came in that role about three weeks before the season, so it didn't have really control over, uh, in terms of the list and, and the way you want to go about it. So now it's given me more time to actually um, run that program the way I'd like to, although now with all this um, uncertainty with COVID-19, things are going to change a fair bit too. But, um, yeah, that's, that's certainly a great opportunity for me now. Long term, I'm not sure... Uh, I've really, as I said, I really enjoy coaching. I'd love to uh, potentially be able to coach uh, a state team or, or over in the UK and, and be a full-time coach. Um, but I'm also keeping open the idea of, of moving into the, the management side of, of things as well, whether it's high-performance management or a head of cricket type role somewhere as well. So it certainly needs to leave both doors open um, until I suppose I find that the right role that's going to be for me long-term. But coaching certainly something I'm enjoying and, and would love to be a full-time coach if, if things can work out
0: that way. Yeah, sounds, sounds like a, a, a great path ahead for you. Now, we finish off our chat with all of our guests and we ask them this question. I'm sorry I haven't prepped you on this. Um, we ask, who are the three people you would most like to have a net session with? They could be cricketers, they could be celebrities, uh, they could be alive, they could be no longer with us. Um, who, who do you reckon you'd love to? An hour within the nets. Three your your top three picks for a net.
1: Uh, I'm not going to say Justin Lane because he'd make me run a lot. You know, <laughs> I'm past all that stage now. <laughs> um, otherwise, yes. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I grew up. Um, I grew up loving Dean Jones um, as, a, as a Victorian. Uh, he was someone who. Um you know he had posters on the wall, and uh, I've been lucky to you know do a couple of sessions with him um where he was a consultant batting coach in in south australia um he wasn't he wasn't that happy, I don't think when I got the Renegade's coaching role <laughs> to come out in the last few weeks, but he probably doesn't know that he was more, that he was my hero growing up either, so <laughs> that's a bit of an interesting one but um yeah he's uh yeah he's someone as i said who i I grew up watching and 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 would you know if you had to choose someone. Who, who's my idol growing up, it would certainly be him. Um, there was a uh, – my, my private coach growing up, and, and no one would know him, but his name is Joey Silver, and he um, he did hours and hours and hours of batting with me, um, whether it was just in a, you know, a, a synthetic net outdoors or in an indoor centre somewhere. And he, he was someone who really helped my game flourish and, and probably helped my game stand up at um, – at senior level at, at at shield level, and that's something I'll be forever grateful for. And oh, you put me on on the spot here, but um, oh, I'd probably have to say someone like a Ricky Ponting, and again, someone who I, I grew up with. And and, and when I was um, playing well at state level, and he was still playing, he was. I was just one of the reasons I really wanted to play was I could play with him. I used to love watching him play, I love the way he went about it. I heard fantastic things about him as captain of Australia, like we spoke earlier, in terms of really um, young people coming through, young um, cricketers coming through into the Australian team. He should take under their wing and, and making sure he always involved them in you know, grabbing a beer or, or grabbing a coffee and an a, and a, a meal, whatever it was. So he was someone who, when I started to hear those things as a state cricketer, about how good he was as a leader and how he embraced all the, the young guys coming through, someone I would have loved to have played with, but obviously never got the opportunity to do so.
0: How do you reckon you'd go bowling to him in the nets? What what, what What's your net bowling like? Uh, I reckon I've been voted in the past as the, the worst bowler ever in state cricket. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, My bowling's
1: pretty ordinary. I can, throw, I can throw, throw him well and I can throw good off him. Yeah, um, yeah but my, my bowling in the nets uh, certainly... It isn't quite up to scratch. I bowled one over in, uh, ever in Shield Cricket. It was, to, it was on day four in a game in Hobart and the rain was two minutes away from coming in and the game being called off. And Graham Manu was the captain at South Australia and George Bailey was batting. So he asked me to come on and bowl an over. And then you could see the clouds coming in and Bailey was, was pretty scared, I think, just not to get out. I bought him one half tracker hit before. And the rest, he just started, he just patted back to me. So. <laughs> um, and then literally as I over, finished, it started pouring rain and the, the game was over, it was called a draw. So um, I'm thankful to, to Graeme Manu for giving me that one over. Um, anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's outstanding. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Michael. I, I really appreciate you giving us your time. Uh, wish you all the best with the family. Great to think, hear things are going well there. And uh, look forward to seeing your career progress in the future. Thanks
1: very
0: much. Really appreciate it. A massive thanks to Michael Klinger for being our guest on the Cricket Library podcast for this edition. Wonderful to hear about his cricketing journey and some great insights. Wasn't there on leadership around the group that he had at South Australia when he captained them to that T20 Victory and then, of course, the time in the Champions League where his young Redbacks side did so well over there, beating some IPL teams. Uh, The Ryobi Cup win for South Australia as well. Taking some of those lessons, I guess, from his time in the Victorian setup and the good things that happened there and the way he was treated as a young player coming in has transferred into the way he's been able to lead and, and set cultures in the environments that he's been involved in. Gloucestershire, another great example of that going over there and building a group uh, from scratch without them really knowing who he was and, and building those relationships with the players on and off the field and, and getting that title there, the big one, the royal london cup at lords in 2015 a, a, a magnificent achievement for, for that group his big bash success of course speaks for itself a uh, prolific run scorer in the big bash competition and hearing about the elation of getting selected finally getting that opportunity to represent australia in the t20s and how it worked out that his family could be there So good to hear and and really good to hear that things are are progressing well with his wife and kids at the moment after the health scare that they had a few years back. So things sound like they're tracking really well for Michael Klinger and I really appreciate him sharing with us on the podcast today. Please remember to subscribe. Please remember to leave a review. We've got some great chats coming up in the coming weeks, just like this one with Michael Klinger. And we very much look forward to your company again next time. This has been Matt Ellis for the Cricket Library Podcast. Bye for now.